As I was preparing for uh, this uh, week's sermon, uh, it's a bit of a challenge. How do you preach a genealogy? Uh, how do you pronounce some of the names in this genealogy? Uh, I, what I've told people before is just pronounce it and then just look confident. They don't know either. Uh, but as I was uh, kind of doing the research and looking at some of the, uh, the royal ancestry of Jesus Christ, which actually is, is uh, some of the evidence that we look to to prove that he really is Messiah, really is who he says uh, he was. I was thinking about uh, our own ancestry and uh, my own ancestry in particular. And one of the blessings of uh, when we moved my mother out of her home, I uh, received a, a number of the, uh, uh, the documents regarding our, our family tree. And I have some of those up here with me. We have Livingston. We have literally a, an encyclopedia of savages uh, here. And uh, so I have lots of information. I just want to highlight some of these for you. And you've heard maybe some of these before, but uh, these are some of the folks in my, uh, my lineage. Anne Marbury Hutchinson helped found the colony of Rhode Island. She was a very small person. Uh, Thomas Savage was appointed chief command of the Massachusetts forces in King Philip's War and married Faith Hutchinson, Anne Marbury Hutchinson's daughter. Thomas Savage, Jr., was commander of the Ancient and Honorable Artillery Company. He negotiated peace with the Maquas Indians to get them to side with the English against the French. He helped lead an unsuccessful expedition against Quebec. He was master of the Bark Dolphin. Samuel Philip Savage, born in 1718, was converted under the preaching of George Whitfield in the year 1740, and by all accounts was a godly, pious Christian for the rest of his life. On December 15, 1773, he was chosen moderator of the meeting at Old South Meeting House to take action against the tea ships lying at Griffin's Wharf in Boston Harbor, the Boston Tea Party. He became chairman of the Board of War for the colony of the state of Massachusetts during the Revolutionary War. Samuel Hay Savage was close friends and cousin to Herman Melville, the author of Moby Dick. Uh, I actually have a handwritten letter, a photocopy, from Herman Melville to Cousin uh, Savage, and uh, it's, it's very cheerful and uh, very uh, encouraging, and if you uh, match the date, it's while Moby Dick was at the printer's ready to come out, and of course, that's considered the great American novel that all of us know we should read, but none of us have. Um, Lawrence Sterling Alexander... MD. He was a surgeon in Mosby's. Mosby was the gray ghost of the Confederacy. 43rd Battalion and uh, was in charge of a Confederate hospital in Virginia. Henry Livingston was in the cavalry in the American Revolution, fought with Count Pulaski in the siege of Savannah. So that's important to me. It's important for you to know who your ancestors were, but it is important for us, and I think for Americans in particular, because we sort of feel like, um, you know, we've lost our homeland and, and uh, you know, we've lost our ties to Europe. It's very important. But as much as that matters to us, it matters so much more to the Jews. And indeed, the, the, uh, the ability of Jesus Christ to actually claim the right to be Messiah, to actually demonstrate that is tied very much to who he came from, who he was related to. We just saw last Lord's Day how uh, Jesus in his baptism received affirmation from God the Father. You are my beloved son. Uh, with you, I am well pleased. And that affirmed the deity of Jesus Christ as being the son of God. But his humanity is just as important. 
It took a God man to be able to die for your sins. So Luke is going to give us the, uh, the royal lineage of Jesus Christ in this text in Luke chapter 3, verses 23 through 38 today. And my hope is, as we go through these names, as we look at the reason why Luke wrote what he did, it would bolster your faith and your confidence in our Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we do turn to you. We thank you, God, uh, for the, the riveting stories and illustrations, the profound poetry of Holy Scripture. Uh, but really, all of this is inspired. And there's a reason why you gave us these names. So I pray, Lord God, that you would help us to get everything that you would want us to get out of this text and help us to have a holy confidence in our Lord and our holy love for you and your word. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Please do turn to Luke chapter 3, verses 23 through 38, and I will read the passage in its entirety, and then you will see through your home group helps insert. This is probably the most lopsided outline I've ever had. We see here the appropriate beginning of Jesus' ministry in verses 23a, the assumption of his early identity in verses 23b, and then the ancestry of his royal lineage in verses 24 through 38. And I will again read uh, these texts to us. And then we'll break them apart. And look at what God would teach us through them today. God says. Luke writes. Jesus when he, he began his ministry. Was about 30 years of age. Being the son. As was supposed. Of Joseph. The son of Eli. The son of Mathat. The son of Levi. The son of Melchi. The son of Jani. The son of Joseph the son of Matthias, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Esel, es Esli, the son of ha uh, Nagai. I should have just been confident with that one. Es Esli, uh, the son of Nagai, the son of Mat, the son of Matthias, the son of Seman, the son of Je uh, Jashek, the son of Jodah, the son of Joniah, the son of Risha, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Sheetel, the son of Neri, the son of Melchi, the son of Adi, the son of Kosam, the son of Eladam, the son of Ur, the son of Joshua, the son of Eleazar, the son of Joram, the son of Matat, the son of Levi, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of Jonam, the son of Elikim, the son of Melsa, the son of Mena, the son of Matthiah, the son of Nathan, the son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Salah, the son of Nashon, the son of Aninadab, the son of Admin, the son of Arni, the son of Hesron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Serug, the son of Jehu, the son of Peleg, the son of Eber, the son of Shelah, the son of Canaan, the son of Arphax, the son of Shem, the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahilel, the son of Canaan, the son of Enos, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Would you mind if I sat down for the rest of the, uh, <laughs> the sermon? You know? uh, so let's look at all, first of all, the appropriate beginning here. This, uh, the, how uh, Luke starts off where it says that Jesus, when he began his ministry, was about the 30 age, uh, years of age. Remember, uh, Luke is an excellent historian, and he wants to give you this level of detail because this is not myth. It's not fable. This is really true. This is God's word. 
So remember, we, if you're going through the Gospel of Luke with us since we started back in November, uh, we, the last account of Jesus showing up on the scene, of course, was his baptism, which occurred right before this, but was he as a child of maybe 12 years old in the temple, right? So we don't know what happened to 12 to 30. He lived in obscurity like most of us live. He grew up just like all boys grew up. He went through puberty. He learned his father's trade on how to build houses. And there's nothing spectacular about what happened. He grew up like the rest of us. We think about Jesus relating to us in our temptation. He also relates to us in our boredom. In our everyday, ordinary lives. So he shows up on the scene at age 30. Now, why is this important? Well, it's important because this is the age uh, that is appropriate in Jewish thought of when it's time for you to act like a grown-up, when there's some expectations for you. For instance, Joseph was 30 when he became prime minister of Egypt. Ezekiel was 30 when he began his prophetic ministry. David was 30 when he ascended to the throne of, uh, of Judah. Uh, the priests had to be 30 years old before they could serve. And it was ba basically the age that was considered appropriate. So God waited in all of that obscurity and that little backwater town of Nazareth until he became 30 years old. And then he shows up on the scene at the River Jordan. We see here also the, uh, the assumption of his early ministry in verses 23b, being the son. But here's an important parenthesis, as was supposed of Joseph, the son of Eli. Now, we, we understand where that comes from because we read the rest of the story before this, right? We had, we had Christmas, and we know who Jesus' real daddy is. So, oh, I just dropped the savages. All right. This is all planned. Everything's choreographed at Christ Reformed Church. This is... Uh, I got a cup of water up here. I was so afraid I was going to baptize my dead relatives. So I'm <laughs> glad to have them out of the way now. He says here, it was supposed. So as far as people knew, Joseph was Jesus' daddy. That's what, that was the assumption, right? They got married. They grew up. And everybody thought that. But, but again, this is a little hint that he was not uh, actually the, the, the biological father of Jesus, though he was the adopted uh, uh, father of Jesus. But one of the things that comes out in this context as we look about this, if you've read the Gospel of Matthew, or if you were here 10 years ago when I preached through Matthew, you know the genealogy here is different. Luke and Matthew, there's some similarities, but they don't always match. So that needs to be addressed, because this is one of those things that people who don't love the the word of God, who don't love the Lord, who want to make it awkward for you, will point out, oh, well, they said they had different fathers and stuff like that. There's an explanation for that that I think that you will find helpful here. But regarding Jesus's uh, grandfather, Matthew tells us that his grandfather was Jacob, whereas Luke says that he was Heli or Eli. And of course, everybody has two grandfathers here, but, uh, but uh, Matthew identifies Jacob as the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is also called the Christ. Luke says that Jesus was the son, as was supposed, of Joseph, the son of Eli. So, and uh, another difference is Matthew starts with Abraham and carries the line forward uh, to Jesus. Luke starts with Jesus and works his way backward and goes all the way back to Adam. 
which makes the list much longer. The two genealogies overlap in many ways, but there are nearly 40 names that are different. But aren't we talking about the same Jesus? We are talking about the same Jesus. Here's probably the solution. And there's a few uh, alternatives that are out there, but I think this is probably the best choice, and it seems to be the best choice with most of the theologians that I read, is that Luke is actually recording Mary's family tree instead of Joseph's. Now, remember, Luke is the expert on Mary. He interviewed Mary to get all the information about the wonderful Advent season sermons that we have and that we look at uh, the, the account of, uh, of the coming of the shepherds and things like that. So Luke has a lot of this material about Mary, and he's continuing with his emphasis on Mary, whereas Matthew's uh, is descended, uh, uh, Jesus is descended from David, uh, from the Solomon, uh, uh, Luke has Jesus being descended from Nathan, another one of the sons of David here. So they're both related here. But in a sense, what's probably happening is that uh, Matthew's genealogy is paternal, talking about Joseph. And then uh, Luke's genealogy, uh, genealogy is maternal. Uh, so there's an emphasis there on the, the bloodline, actually, of, of uh, Mary, who was actually his biological wife. I'm biological mother. So, and you don't include female names in Jewish genealogies normally. So he was basically the statement I think he was supposed of Joseph really is a subtle way of referring to Mary. So then Eli or Heli, as, as your uh, ESV says, was Mary's father. But strangely enough, and, and, and actually this is actually affirmed by the Jewish Talmud as well, that uh, he was J uh, Mary's father. But the, the phrase son of Heli does not refer to Joseph, but skips Joseph. And refers back to Jesus. Uh, and another hint here is that of all the names that are listed. You want me to go through them again? No. Uh, all the names that are listed. They all have the definite article before them. So it's like it's the Matthai. Uh, the Joseph. Things like that. Uh, I'm sorry. The, the Matthai. But not the Joseph. The definite article is, me, is, is missing. So that might be another hint that while Joseph was his supposed father, his adopted father, he's really giving the idea of Mary, uh, Mary's lineage here. So he was actually, Jesus was Heli's grandson. In those days, the word son would be a general term for offspring. So again, a Jew at the time would have understood that. It's a little bit harder for us to understand that. Uh, so he, he doesn't have a biological father for his closest ancestor, so he goes to his grandfather, which actually makes a lot of sense, does it not? G. Gresham Machen uh, summarized the thought, Jesus was supposed to be the son of Joseph, but was really the son of Eli. Eli, the son or grandson of Eli. Eli would then be the father of Mary, and the word son would be taken in a wider sense of descendant. The name of the mother of Jesus being omitted because it was not customary for women to be included in a genealogy. So, so that's a little technical, I suppose, maybe a, a little dull in some ways, but you need to be able to make a ready defense. You were called on as a Christian to be able to defend uh, against the attacks against Christianity. So I'm hoping that you'll understand that Luke's talking about Mary's line. Matthew is talking about uh, the line of Joseph. So basically we see here the uh, ancestry of his royal lineage in verses 24 through 38. Again, I'll spare you uh, going through all those names. But most of these names really just wasn't a whole lot to these people. We know nothing about them. Some of them are extremely significant and they, they uh, show the credentials that Jesus Christ had. Uh, and we understand the, 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 the accuracy of these names too. There were public records that had all of these things. We see that sometimes like 
for instance, in the book of Numbers, right? We see who beget who, who beget who, who beget who. So uh, we understand that there's a, there were genuine research was available back then. Uh, the historian Josephus, Josephus says that as he was uh, con, uh, consulting the genealogical records, uh, he knew who his family was. The famous rabbi, rabbi Hillel. Uh, trace his ancestry through public records back to David. But during the Roman conquest and the burning of Jerusalem of 70 AD, probably all of those records or most of them were burned. So that's interesting because any person who would claim to be Messiah, and there's plenty of people who want to be Jesus out there, right? Anybody who would claim to be Messiah after 70 AD could not demonstrate it. They could not prove it because the libraries, all these records were burned by the Romans. They couldn't go back and prove their point. Luke, Matthew, prove their point with the genealogical records here. Matthew puts his genealogy at the beginning of his gospel, but Luke waits until he's at the age of maturity, the appropriate age for him to have his public ministry. Again, the names differ somewhat from Matthew uh, and Luke. Luke provides 57 names, while Matthew gives us 41 names. Uh, and, uh, and basically, the other thing that you need to know about Jewish genealogies, they weren't always comprehensive. They always didn't include everybody. That's why I'm hesitant. Uh, you, you might have seen that wonderful chart by Archbishop Usher, written a couple of hundred years ago, that claimed that the earth was 6,000 years old, based on the genealogies of Scripture. I'm a young earth person. I believe in a... In a uh, six days of creation, uh, and we'll have fellowship with people who don't believe that, but that's just where I've landed. Uh, but I don't sit there and say I know exactly how old the earth is based on the genealogies because the genealogies didn't always include everybody. They didn't always include everybody. So kind of be humble about that. I don't think it's 60 billion years old, but I don't think it's just 6,000 years old either uh, based on the way Jews did genealogies. So Matt, the other thing that's important is Matthew was writing for a Jewish audience. That's why he starts with Abraham because he's really emphasizing the, the, the kingship of Jesus Christ and the coming of the kingdom based upon the line that comes from Abraham. Luke is writing to a wider audience. He is writing to, uh, to, to uh, Gentiles. So he wants to go all the way back to Adam, where we all came from the same father and the same uh, mother. So some of these names are real important. Some of them are not. But let me point out just some of the important names because it's a nice review of biblical theology, our view of Scripture. Uh, and we start off here. Let's look at Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. OK, Adam had a, renew, a, a unique relationship with God. He was actually formed out of the clay. He was given God's spirit to give him life. He was made in the image of God. Uh, and therefore, he was somewhat unique where the point here, this Luke would say he was actually the son of God. Uh, if you had seen Adam before the fall, you would have thought he was a superhero. He was in perfect health. He had a, a, a level of genius off of the scale. There was nothing fallen about him. There was nothing sinful about him. You would be in awe of him. He reflected in many, as, as perfectly as humanly possible, he reflected that wonderful, wonderful image. But what's the rest of the story? We do have a fall. And Adam allowed his wife to take of the fruit, and all of creation fell at that point in time. So for all the good that Adam did, and we're grateful that he brought us life, he also brought us the terrible fall. But... 
Genesis mentions that, but also mentions the great promise that comes from Genesis 3.15, the, the proton euangelion, the first gospel. I will put enmity between you, Satan, and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, and you shall, he shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. That is a, a view to the cross. That's a view that a, 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 someone from the woman, someone born of woman, is going to crush Satan's head. Of course, we have this great principle that the first Adam brought about sin and death. The second Adam redeemed his people from sin and death. Romans chapter 5, 17 and 19. If because of one man's trespass, death reigned through the one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace, the free gift of righteousness, reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. For by his one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. So there was this first Adam that's in our family line. His DNA is in our body right now. But the story doesn't end there. There was this great second Adam who came and redeemed his people. We see, of course, here Abraham, the son of Terah. Uh, Terah was a moon worshiper, worshiped the moon god here. Uh, but Ter uh, Abraham left his home, and in faith, he uh, forsook the idols that he was worshiping there in Ur the Chaldees. He followed God's leading to go to the promised land. Uh, but Abraham was also a liar who gave away his wife a couple of times, right? All of our genealogies are like that. We have the good, the bad, and the ugly, don't we? The promised passage that we love here is Genesis chapter 12, when God speaks to Abraham, I will make you a great nation and I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. We are, we are here today on February 11th, 2023. We are answers to that prophecy. The nations of the earth have come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. That promise has been fulfilled in Abraham. Then we have Judah, the son of Jacob. Uh, Judah, of course, was uh, he was a better son than some of the older sons. He was actually the fourth born son. But the first verse two uh, did, uh, uh, slaughtered a bunch of people and uh, and so upset um, uh, Isaac that he uh, that he didn't want to let them get the inheritance. So Judah received the inheritance. But he also traded slaves and consorted with prostitutes. Aren't you glad you're not included in the Bible? I mean, it's a little awkward reading that story to your own grandchildren. Yeah, so I was hanging out with these prostitutes. Oh, well, let's skip that part. Uh, so Judah, you know, again, kind of a sketch character in some ways. And yet, he's just like us. He's a sinner saved by grace. And the wonderful passage in Genesis 28, after, um, after uh, um, I'm, uh, uh, Jacob has seen this, uh, this ladder here, uh, 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 the, uh, the Lord says to him, your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth. You shall spread abroad in the west and the east and to the north and to the south. And in you, your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So that same promise from Abraham is given to Jacob as well. In Genesis chapter 49, Judah uh, is, is said in prophecy there, Judah is a lion's club. And from prey, my son, you have gone up. He stooped down, he touched, he crouched as a lion, as a lioness who dares rouse him. The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet, until the tribute comes, in whom you shall be the obedience of the people. So what a wonderful promise that is. In other words, from the tribe of Judah is going to come one who rules forever and ever and ever. 
And, of course, Jesus was from the tribe of Judah. Judah is where we get the word Jew. David, the son of Jesse. David was the ideal ruler. He was the standard of measure for a godly king. He was brave. He loved the Lord. He also was an adulterer and a murderer. Again, this sounds like our family trees in many ways, doesn't it? And then that wonderful promise of the everlasting kingdom coming to David comes in 2 Samuel. When your days are fulfilled, you will lie down with your fathers. I will raise up your offspring after you. You shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. And he shall build a house for my name and establish a throne in the kingdom forever. Your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Now, what earthly kingdom could actually fulfill that? Solomon didn't. Solomon failed. His kingdom isn't established forever. There's no king in Jerusalem right now. But there is. <laughs> Jesus Christ fulfilled this in the eternal kingdom that it will not go away. We see a similar promise in Isaiah chapter 11. There shall come from a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge in the year of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. And then we see one that's very important here, Nathan, the son of David. And I've, uh, I've kind of alluded to this before, but Luke here traces Jesus through Nathan's line, where Matthew traces Jesus through Solomon's line. Now, legally, an adopted child is a legitimate child and an heir of the fortunes of that family. So you have an issue here. And this is important because this shows you one reason why these two genealogies diverge. During the time of the Babylonian conquest, the, the, uh, the Jewish kings had become so vile that God actually chose to curse them. And we see here in Jeremiah chapter 22, 30, thus says the Lord, write this man, and he's talking about the king, the current king at the time, Jeconiah or Jehoiakim, down as childless. A man shall not succeed in his days, for none of his offspring shall succeed in sitting on the throne of David and ruling again in Judah. So from Solomon's line kept going until this point, and then there was a curse made from God himself saying no more. No more kings from this line. But Jesus is the king. He fulfilled Yeah, he's coming from the line of Nathan. There was no line. Uh, there was no curse for the line of Nathan. So biologically, in the DNA, he's got Solomon's line there. But he also has the promise made from Nathan uh, through, uh, through the other line. So as one commentator said, this would solve the problem as to how Jesus could be a descendant of Jeconiah, who was cursed by God and denied the right to have his sons rule over Israel. Although Jeconiah appears in Matthew's genealogy, he does not appear in Luke because he was not related to Jesus by blood. Jesus was not under Jeconiah's curse and thus could rightfully ascend to Israel's throne. So you're thinking, what's the big deal? What's the big deal? Did any of y'all see that? And when we, you know, we sent out the information about the uh, the bulletin and the the sermon ahead of time. Did some of you look at it and think, "How's he going to do this genealogy thing?" Well, that's a very Western mindset. This idea that we sort of dismiss the importance. You know, we Americans we're all independent and that kind of thing. We don't look at heraldry and that sort of thing. But most cultures do, and most cultures think it's extremely important that you know who your great 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 granddaddy was. Came across a wonderful story from a Wycliffe Bible translator 
uh, newsletter of, of about 20 years ago, and I'm just going to read it to you. When a Wycliffe Bible translator came to Papua New Guinea, he started to translate Matthew's gospel. He thought, the last thing, very Western, the last thing I want to do is bog these people down with genealogy. So he began with chapter 2. But the day came when all the other chapters were done, and he called together the men who were helping him, the tribal men who were helping him, and they decided on the best way to, to say the word beget. Then he proceeded with Matthew's chapter 1. Abraham beget Isaac, Isaac beget Jacob, Jacob beget, and kept on going. By the time they completed about six of these begets, the translator could sense that the men were becoming very excited. Do you, and they asked, do you mean that these were real men? <laughs> they asked, yes, he said. Uh, he said, uh, they are real men. That's what we, we do. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Yes, yes they, he answered, they are real men. Um, uh, and then the tribal people said, yeah, well, that's what we do, they added, referring to their custom of keeping track of genealogies. We had thought that these were just white man stories. Do you mean really that Abraham was a real man? Yes, the translator said. That's what I've been telling you. We didn't know that, they said. But now we believe. That night they gathered the village together and they said, listen to this. And they started reading from Matthew's genealogy. And the tribe got saved. You mean this isn't fable? It's not lore like our people passed? This is real people who had real babies, and Jesus Christ was one of them. What an amazing thing. And, of course, this underscores the authenticity of Luke's gospel, doesn't it? So I've talked to you about some of the great escapades of some of my relatives. Can I give you the rest of the story? Because my relatives, just like yours, even though they did great and wonderful things, they were sinners and they struggled in life. I mentioned to you, Ann uh, Marbury Hutchinson was, uh, helped found the colony of Rhode Island. Uh, one of my sons was in Rhode Island, spent a summer there, and everybody knew who, uh, who uh, Ann Hutchinson was, and there was little statues of her and things like that. But the reason why she founded Rhode Island is because she got excommunicated from her church in the Boston colony and was sent there in exile. She was the center figure of the great antinomian debate among the Puritans. She, was, she is now considered the mother of American feminism. She was killed by Indians in New York some years later. Samuel Phillips Savage uh, was the great hero of the revolution in charge of the Boston Tea Party. He lost most of his fortune during the revolution, lost a promising son, and his, his wife went mad in her old age. He struggled just like we sinners struggle. Uh, Henry Savage was illegitimate. I'd, I'd tell you he was a savage bastard, but you'd think that was a pejorative. Uh, he was in love with Adelaide Hayde, introduced Adelaide to his father. His father snaked her and took her to be his own wife. According to family custom, Henry Savage then retreated to Guatemala and became very wealthy down there. Lawrence Sterling Alexander the doctor for the gray ghost of the Confederacy defended an institution that believed in chattel slavery. And the list goes on. They're all very flawed people, just like their great-great-great-great-great-grandson is. And just like all the people in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, they needed a Savior. And you do too. But one of the things that we look at as we even look at this genealogy is what a good God is. And it's interesting how the list terminates with Adam the Son of God. 
In Adam, we became sinners. And in Jesus Christ, we became saints. Hebrews chapter 2 reminds us, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. And through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God to make propitiation, that is, satisfaction for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered and tempted, he is able to come those who are being tempted. As one poet summarizes this thought, Christ, the son of God, became a son of Adam that we sons of Adam might become Sons of God. Praise God for the genealogies. Father, we do thank you for the salvation that comes to us through the God-man, Jesus Christ. And we so often emphasize his need to be worshipped because he is God, but we can do that because he was also man. There's nothing that we are tempted with, nothing that we go through, nothing that we struggle with from grave, grievous temptation and loss just the mundane things of this world that Jesus Christ himself wasn't tempted with. And we thank you that even now he is at the right hand of God the Father interceding for us. So we thank you, God, that one day we will meet our relatives who know you. And we will meet so many of these that are in the, the genealogy of Jesus Christ. And it is our great hope, Lord. That as we've come to know this truth, that we will tear this, tell this truth to other, and that you would produce for us spiritual children that will go from generation to generation to generation. Lord, make it so. In Christ's name, amen.